Welcome to this four-part podcast series that I call The Great Tribulation and the End of Time. The purpose is to give you a clear and vivid picture of what is going to happen. Why? Because knowing the hope, which is an understanding of the future, is essential if you intend to stand for God. After all, Paul tells us to rejoice in hope so we can persevere in tribulation. Do you have a clear understanding of the hope? Would you like to learn about the six future resurrections? In part one of this podcast, which is this one right now, I will be discussing preparing a remnant for the Great Tribulation. In part two, I will give you a dramatic picture of the Great Tribulation. In part three, I will explain in some detail the first of six resurrections, And in part four, I will disclose Resurrections 2 through 6 and the end of time. There is a maturing remnant among us now. I must explain that these podcasts do not offer just one of many interpretations. Instead, they are based on over 20 years of my biblical research. I want to begin with an understanding of a maturing remnant that is among us now. First, You must appreciate that God does not make it possible for us to know whether or not he will select us to participate in the remnant. That decision will come at the beginning of the seven-year period that Matthew in his gospel and John in Revelation call Philipsis Megale, a time of great distress. We simply refer to it as the Great Tribulation. Point one. You cannot know if you will be in the remnant during the Great Tribulation, and there is good reason for this. Point two. We are now in boot camp, learning how to respond in times of intense trial and persecution. The nature of our response will determine God's selection of those who are worthy to participate in the remnant. What is he looking for? The Apostle Paul explains that we must exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance brings proven character, and proven character brings hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Don't listen to Paul's words too quickly. We all go through times of difficulty in our lives, but what is important is how we respond. Perseverance is the Greek hupomane, which means to hold up under intense pressure. I get a visual image of the Greek god Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. Now that takes extraordinary strength and willpower, which we must exhibit with our own perseverance. However, I think the most important element of hupomane, holding up under pressure, is to stand firm in the ways of God. Think of Atlas refusing to crumble under the weight of the world. Satan is the master of deceit, and deceit draws us into the ways of the world. Standing firm for God requires perseverance. Proven character is the Greek word dokimei which resonates with me the most. 
The word means a process of proving yourself worthy of God's approval. That process requires an ongoing, maturing, and unwavering commitment to think and act in ways that are right with God. We call this righteousness. And nothing pleases God more than a heart that truly desires to obey Him in every aspect of our lives. Hope, to me, is so much a part of my life that I tend to assume it is the same with others. Maybe so, maybe not. Hope is not the English maybe, but the Greek word elpis, which means the absolute certainty that you know what is going to happen in the future, which is God's great plan to bring all of his people into his loving presence. Unfortunately, Christian tradition has made the hope a simple pill. Just believe and be saved. My research of the remnant in Scripture has given me a profound understanding of our future hope. And that perception is now an internal part of my life, as it should be for you also. Next, I want to talk about the commandment to fear the Lord before the coming judgment. Thirty-one times we are told to fear the Lord in the Hebrew Scriptures. The New Testament echoes this commandment numerous times. One only needs to use a concordance to verify that startling information. In fact, Luke draws attention to our need to fear the Lord by citing the Hebrew Scriptures. His mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear Him. Luke 1.50, citing Psalm 103.17. However, to be afraid of God seems to stand in direct contrast to the great commandment that urges us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This great commandment is a quotation from Deuteronomy 6.5, thus demonstrating that both the love of God and the fear of God are required of God's people. Because loving God is such a foundational principle in Christianity due to the gift of God's Son, I grappled with this commandment to fear God for some time. After all, being afraid of God seems to contradict the directive to love Him, so, what is going on? What is the solution to this dilemma? For a long time, the only thing that made any sense to me, which is a common theology, is that standing before an awesome God causes us to fall before Him in humble submission. Perhaps that is what you have been taught, or the conclusion you have drawn. However, this explanation does not capture the actual fear only a loving and humble response to that fear. So why should we experience fear and even terror because of our loving God? Not long ago, as I was studying the scriptures, I had a sudden understanding. It is not God that we are supposed to fear, but God's judgment. This answer is clarified in a verse in Deuteronomy, although if you conduct a word study on fearing the Lord, you will see that it means to fear God's judgment. In Deuteronomy, we read, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, and in parallel to observing the statutes, the verse continues, to fear the Lord our God. And then Deuteronomy explains why for our good always, and for our survival. 
That's Deuteronomy 6.4. Thus, it is not God that we fear, but his coming judgment, if we do not follow and obey all his directives. This concept of fearing God's judgment for sinful behavior is, of course, a loving form of instruction. Which brings me to the coming judgment and what we should be doing in anticipation of this event. I think the first important concept about the coming judgment is that we must acknowledge that God will judge all of his people first before he turns to judging others. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 we read, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, meaning the body of Christ, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This verse in Corinthians discloses startling information depending on what you've been taught. Number one, we can see that the judgment has nothing to do with believing in order to be saved because we have already received that promise. Number two, the judgment will be executed differently for each individual member of God's family. Number three, God will judge each one of us for the works that we have done, both good works and bad works. Bad works, by the way, are sometimes called evil works, but bad and evil simply mean any activity contrary to God. Recompense is the English translation of komidzo, and this Greek word leads us to the Old Testament concept of wages for work performed as Isaiah explains. Behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Did you hear the future judgment? Isaiah continues, Behold, his reward, the Hebrew word for reward is sahar, meaning wages, and his recompense, peulah, which is payment for work and service, is with God. So we are getting wages and payment for work performed. Members of God's family already have the promise of eternal life, but the coming judgment will evaluate how we have lived our lives as members of God's family. How much of your work has been good in God's eyes, and what have you done that is contrary to God? How well do you know what God expects of you so you can be pleasing in his eyes? The driving question then becomes this. What are the wages for good works and what is the punishment for bad works? We will turn now to the key to understanding rewards and punishments. I will direct your attention to the book of Revelation. After some introductory information, we are suddenly confronted in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 with a verdict dealing with the extent to which we have overcome trials and tribulation in our lives. Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in what is today Turkey. But do not take these words literally. Revelation is written in an ancient apocalyptic style of literature that attempts to penetrate and convey spiritual matters with highly symbolic language. The messages to the seven churches have significant meaning for us today. So, a future judgment has apparently occurred. 
Richard Booker, in his book The Overcomers, portrays this judgment with helpful charts that identify common rebuke, exhortation, and promise for each of the seven churches. Two of the churches are commended for being faithful during tribulation and for keeping God's word, which means they are standing for God and his righteousness even during times of great distress. These two churches have no rebuke, and their promise is that they will not be hurt by the second death. That is, they have apparently received eternal life with God. This is what we strive for if we desire to participate in the future role of the remnant. I have found that these people will receive their promise of eternal life at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Three of the churches have some commendation, but also some rebuke. They have permitted ungodly teaching when they should have been standing against anything contrary to God, even when it could lead to persecution and death. They are exhorted to repent, which means to change any worldly thoughts and actions and turn to the righteousness that God desires. Yet, even though there is some rebuke followed by exhortation, they are not without a future promise. At some time, they will eat of the tree of life, but not during the Great Tribulation, unless we take it as a warning and get our act together so that we fall into the, to the first group. <laughs> I think these three churches, which have some rebuke as well as encouraging exhortation, describe most of us. God wants us to be worthy of no rebuke. But I always explain that complete perfection in this world is not possible, so do not fall into the trap of feeling inadequate. I have concluded from Scripture that God only sees the heart. If you truly desire to overcome sinful habits in your life, God will honor your commitment and you will grow in spiritual maturity that allows you to draw closer and closer to God. Finally, we come to the last two churches. They have no commendation and strong rebuke. Unfortunately, this describes some of God's people today. But even they have a promise. At some time in the future, the time is not disclosed here in Revelation, they will be clothed in white, which signifies righteousness, and their names will be written in the book of life. Why do these ungodly members of God's family have this promise? Well, they belong to God, and he is leading them, with the help of the Messiah and the remnant, to learn how to walk in the ways of righteousness. That does not seem to be happening today with these Christians, but God's great plan of redemption will proceed far beyond the Great Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom. I am drawn to the first two churches that have all commendation and no rebuke. As I will demonstrate in part two of this podcast series, the book of Revelation identifies those with commendation and no rebuke as a future remnant of God's people who will participate under the leadership of their Lord Yeshua to defeat Satan during the Great Tribulation. They are the ones who will then enter Yeshua's millennial kingdom, just like Noah, who is honored in the Hebrew text as the first remnant who obeyed God and was rescued from death and destruction. So, I trust you will join me in the second podcast in this series that I call A Dramatic Picture of the Great Tribulation. <laughs>